Quite literally today, the church celebrates this day with no small joy. In fact, the name of this third Sunday of Advent is Gaudete Sunday because the first word in the liturgy is rejoice. This Sunday is different from the other Sundays of Advent. Different in a way that we mark it with a color change, we mark it with a change in our music, and we will mark it today with a change in our prayer. All of that is at the service of the necessary changing that must take place as well within our hearts. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admit it, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, who are you so we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, or Elijah, or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. There is an awful lot going on in the way the church prays and celebrates today. And let's just begin with the obvious. I've obviously changed my clothes. The church allows the color rose to be worn in the liturgy on only two days of the entire year. There is zero permission, zero option to use it any more than on those two days. This is one of them. And so there's something about the third Sunday of Advent that is so important, it's signaled in part 
by a change in color. What a remarkable idea that is. And so as we were getting ready for this one, it was like, if it's so special, it doesn't make a lot of sense just to wear the same old thing, but in a different color. But to go with something that is truly visually different. And so just to explain, this is the style of vestment that would have been much more common in the church 50 or 60 years ago than today. It's the old traditional Roman style of vestment. And it makes sense to use it here today, as I said, because it's so different from what we ordinarily wear. Because when the church changes the color on the third Sunday of Advent, it is not simply saying it's just like the other three, only the color is different. It's doing that because there's something substantial that is being celebrated and engaged today. On the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of rejoicing, literally the liturgy begins with the word rejoice. And it's no accident that our entrance hymn began that way as well, with the verse that says rejoice as we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And so on this day, the church also says that joy has to be real. And so even though you've simplified your music through Advent, Kick it up a notch today. Even though you've stripped down your adornment in the sanctuary, flowers are permitted today. Even though your prayer has had a quieter character, it shouldn't be so quiet today. And so it's not just a matter of changing the color. It's a matter of changing the tenor of what it is we do on this day for this day. That as well is the origin of the mysterious, popularly called pink, officially called rose, color on the a candle on the advent wreath. But the important symbol here is not that candle, the important symbol is the change in the music, the change in the vestments, and the change in attitude that characterizes this particular day. And so the question is, why would we have that? And why would it be the third Sunday of Advent and not the last Sunday of Advent? We think that would be the big one. And so again, we have to understand something of the history and the nature of what it is we celebrate. And the reality is we can grow up in the church and spend our whole lives faithfully attending Mass without ever learning where some of the things we take for granted come from. So this period that we are marking, the time of Advent, which is a variable length, this year is the shortest that Advent can possibly be because the, the fourth week of Advent is only one day long this year. It's a week of one day. Advent is not a season of four weeks. It is a season of four Sundays, which are generally followed by some weekdays to get us to Christmas. But the key to Advent is recognizing that it is the time marked by four Sundays. That's why there are four candles in the Advent wreath. But prior to Advent being defined in this way, this period before Christmas was referred to 
by a variety of different names. Famously, for hundreds of years, it was referred to as the December Fast. And why? Because the church fasted through December. In an earlier age, in parts of France and Western Europe, it was referred to as St. Martin's Lent. Because beginning just after the Feast of St. Martin in mid-November, it was basically a 40-day period of fasting, just like Lent was. And note then that there's a penitential aspect out of which what with the time we now call Advent emerges. And as the church developed its practice of preparing for the Feast of the Nativity, one of the things it did implement was works of penance, works of self-denial, and active fasting. And why? The fasting was precisely in preparation for the feasting of the Christmas holidays. And note how important and wise that is. On some levels, if your belly's full, you're not going to feast well. And so there's this wedding of the physical appetite of laying certain pleasures and certain good things aside precisely for the purpose of being able to celebrate with a real joy. Because as we all know, and one of the problems with the way the world gets ready for Christmas now is we have so many Christmas parties in the weeks leading up to Christmas that the day itself can almost seem anticlimactic. The day itself finds us exhausted and full and so unable to truly receive and celebrate everything it has for us. But the other reason is quite simply this. The Lord comes to save us from sin. And so conscious of the fact that we are sinners, one of the ways the church historically prepares for Advent is to also do the works of repentance. And in an earlier age, just like in Lent, because the only other day where rose vestments are possible is the fourth Sunday of Lent. And so in both of the penitential seasons, there's a Sunday that's selected with the word rejoicing at the beginning of the liturgy and given a color change. And the reason was because we can exhaust ourselves trying to be good. The discipline in the fasting, the penances that the people were often doing were heavy and continual and severe. It wasn't just fast on Fridays, it was fast every day. And because that was so rigorous and so demanding, the church looked at that and said, this doesn't work if all it becomes is a grind. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build a break, a moment of rest into the season. And so all of a sudden, there was this day, which was no longer a day of fasting, but had a note of celebration about it. And it was an opportunity for the entire church to catch its breath, to renew itself and to recover its energy, and then press on to the finish line of getting ready for the great feast day. So on the third Sunday of Advent, this moment of joy, even though we don't mark the time with the same kind of heavy fasting and penances that we did in an early age, still has this vital purpose, 
perhaps even more so today when we are drowning in such an abundance of opportunities and celebrations to remind us that the real celebration is yet to come. And that on this day, whatever other joys we've indulged in and whatever difficulties within which we find ourselves, we need to pause for a very particular reason. And it's the joy of anticipation. And that begs the question of, well, that's wonderful, Father, but why would they go rose? Or pink, as is more commonly experienced. You notice I went with rose. Um, the official color is rose, and the reason for that is what happens in the sky in the morning. In fact, if we go back a few hundred years, in some parts of the church, the color would have been yellow or orange. And so it wasn't always rose everywhere. But why those colors, rose, yellow, orange? Because when the sun begins to come up on the eastern horizon in the morning, and you look out to that horizon, you see different shades of light, don't you? You see a pinkish blush of dawn. You see a heavier rose color some mornings. And as the sun comes up a little higher, that turns into orange, which gives way to the bright yellow of the sun as it gets higher. And so the color of the third Sunday of Advent is the color of the sun rising in the morning. It's the, sun, the color of dawn breaking out of the night sky. And again, note the image because the image here comes back to the fact that in much of the world, over our cities, there were watchmen who would be alert through the night over the city gates, and the nights would get long, and the night was cold. And when one was keeping watch through the long night, no moment was so filled with joy as that moment when the watchman could look out and see that night was finally over. That dawn was breaking out of the darkness. And that rose color in the sky was the sign that the troubled watching of the night is done. The day isn't fully here, but it is here. And this is that note of joy that the church applies to this Sunday. It is not Christmas Day yet. Oh, but we're close. And know what that implies. If I really am looking forward to something, isn't it true that when I pause and remember that it's close, there's a certain energy of anticipation that quickens within my heart? There's a certain spring to my step and my movement. And why? because I'm animated by the nearness of the one I'm looking to meet, because I'm animated by the opportunity I've been waiting for, which is so close I can taste it. It's not here yet. Oh, but I can taste its nearness. And so this is the day where the church says, remember why we're doing this. Remember whom it, for whom it is we're preparing. Think again of the salvation that we've been longing for and that draws near. 
and on behalf of a world that doesn't know what it's looking for or what it's waiting for. The church says, but we know. And we can rejoice not just for ourselves, but for this entire sin-fallen world that looks around and only sees darkness. And so from the world today, there's a certain joy. And it's the joy in the nearness of salvation. It's a joy of anticipation, a joy in a goodness that is so very, very close. And so that being said, note then how our readings help us toward realizing that today. We hear from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the words of one of the servant songs a word that Jesus himself will quote in reference to himself at the beginning of his public preaching. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I have been sent. And note what he's sent to do. This particular statement of the Lord's mission doesn't directly come out and say, I have been sent to die on the cross. It doesn't begin with, I have been sent to suffer. All of that is true and it will happen. It is, I have been sent to bring joy into those parts of the world and those parts of human experience that don't have it. And so I have been come, I have been sent to announce great and glad news to the poor and the wounded. And when we hear that word, good news, often our modern ear reduces that to fairly trivial things. But that expression, good news, that is used in sacred scripture, doesn't mean the Yankees just pulled off a really great trade and I'm happy. It's rather the kind of good news that is announced when the fate of the nation changes for the better when disaster has been averted, when a crisis has been overcome that affects not just me in my little corner of the world, but that touches the world itself. I have been sent to proclaim tidings of that great dignity, that great character, a joy that can penetrate the poorest and most broken aspects of the world. Rejoice. Note the power of that. A joy that penetrates poverty. A joy that penetrates neediness. A joy that penetrates not being able to get anything done. And changes the lives of those who are found there. I have been sent for that. And he continues, for the healing of the poor, for the release of the prisoner. And again, those who are imprisoned, what is more joyful than the thought of being released? Not just those who are physically incarcerated, but what about those of us who are imprisoned by our fears and our doubts? And how we would long for a break from those thoughts that afflict us on a daily basis. I have been sent for that. What a remarkable mission this is. 
And in speaking that way, the Lord is saying, that's what it means to say, I've come to save you from sin. It's not just that I've come to save you from punishment. I've come to save you from all of those things that rob the goodness of life from you. From all of those things that diminish you, weaken you, and break you down. I have been sent by the Lord for that. And then we have in our gospel today the mission of John the Baptist and the confusion about who this guy is. And here's John preaching by his river, baptizing people by the hundreds. Crowds are flocking to him, and the leaders in Jerusalem are troubled because they've lost control of all of this. And they have no idea who he is why he's doing this, but there's no questioning the fact that he's effective, whatever it is he's doing. And so they come to question him because people are openly saying, I think he's the guy. I think he's the one. Who else has ever spoken this way? Who else has ever touched our hearts like this? It looks like he's the one. So we have this marvelous passage from St. John's Gospel that clarifies for us and for Israel who John the Baptist is. And so the evangelist writes that when he's asked, who are you, he, curiously he says he doesn't deny it, he admits it, and we think he's going to say that he's the one. But he doesn't deny that he's not the one. He doesn't deny that there's another. He admits, I'm not him. It's a wonderfully important line that reminds us that likewise, none of us is him. None of us is the savior. None of us and no worldly leader is the one who makes the change that saves us. I can point to him, John says, but I'm not him. I can refer to him. I can let you know about him, but I can't be him. Salvation is not from me, but I'm the guy who's here to tell you that salvation is close. John the Baptist is that one who calls the world to recognize that rosy blush of dawn is already in the sky. And if the blush of dawn is there, it means the day is now. We don't see the sun in its fullness yet, but the day is here. And the day is here, and that means we should do something. And so those who came to John to receive his baptism of repentance were doing so not only because they were guilty and wanted to be forgiven, they were doing it because they had the joy of knowing forgiveness was possible for them. They did it with a certain energy, not reluctance, because finally, the word of healing they've been waiting for was close. And they could let these things go. And they could lighten their hearts. They haven't seen Jesus yet, but just the news that he's near began to change them. And so it is that the Baptist turns to the priests and the Pharisees with this marvelous line, the one you guys have been waiting for is already here. You just don't know him. 
It's a remarkable line. There is one among you and you don't even recognize him. But that doesn't mean he's not here. That doesn't mean the day hasn't arrived because you didn't get the memo. He's here. He's here. And that's John's great insistence. He's near. He's close. Soon you'll see his face. Not today. Oh, but he's here. The moment has already arrived. We just haven't seen it in its fullness yet. That's the joy of today. That's the joy of today. To remember the reason for our hope. To think again about the one in whom we hope. And then to realize we're not looking for a distant day but a day that in its own way has mysteriously arrived. We just don't see all of the light yet, but it's here and he's here. But that also means following the series of questions that the people have for St. John the Baptist, we need to ask ourselves the question of how well do I know the one whom I say I'm waiting for? How well do I know him? What am I waiting for in Jesus? And that is also why something else happens today in the prayer of the church. Today is December 17th, and every year on December 17th, Advent changes. Whether it's a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, it doesn't matter. But when the calendar reads December 17th, Advent becomes different. We'll still have the same four candles. Tomorrow we go back to purple. But Advent changes. And it changes in this way. The first part of Advent up to December 16th, the first part of Advent, the primary focus is on looking for Jesus to come again. And hearing the great prophecies of what it means that he will set all things right. But then as we come now to the back part of Advent, in the light of all of those great things we expect of Jesus, we remember that he already has come. And we look now very particularly toward the events that lead directly to his birth in Bethlehem. So as we move through the rest of the season of Advent, the liturgy begins to focus on all of those concrete events and details that end with Mary and Joseph looking for shelter and eventually finding a place in a stable in Bethlehem. In other words, now we turn to contemplate what happens as the Lord prepares to directly show his face to us. And it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the season. And in doing that, the church wants to remind us that the joy of heaven and earth over the birth of the Savior is a joy that we begin to taste today. We know it's soon. We know it's near. And so on this day, there's the touch of Christmas a little bit early. Not the full taste of Christmas, but a real taste of Christmas. Not the full light of Christmas, but some of the light of Christmas, because the rosy blush of dawn is already in the sky. 
And it's out of that joy where then the church says, now let's double down on this last week. The great prayer of the last week of Advent is what most of you know as a song. We began Mass with it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Before that was a song that was for hundreds and hundreds of years part of the prayer of the church beginning on December 17th. And when the church would pray the psalms at various times of the day in the evening, every night, beginning tonight and moving toward Christmas Eve, the verses before the saying of the Magnificat, that beautiful hymn that says, My soul rejoices in the Lord, began with, O come, O wisdom from on high. O come, thou Lord of might. O key of David, come. O dayspring, come. Emmanuel, come. Each day had its own verse. A very simple spiritual exercise. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't require a lot of effort. Anyone can do it. Take some time over the next several days simply with the verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Just one verse a day. Don't worry if you match the, the exact order of the church's use or not. Because note, each of those verses names Jesus in a beautiful way according to how he's named in sacred scripture. And connected to each of those names is something that he does. Open up the gate of heaven and close off the way to those things that would doom us. Disperse the clouds of night and drive away our fear of what would destroy us. Note how wonderful that is. And the church prays those prayers to clarify and sharpen our sense of who Jesus is so that we already begin to rejoice in his fullness. So that on that day when the words of prophecy are fulfilled, let us see your face. We shall be saved. We find ourselves ready to see that face and recognize that we're not looking on the face of a stranger, but the face of the Savior we've been waiting for all this time. Amen.